Hey guys, it's Olivia, your host, and welcome back to the Stay Hungry Outdoors podcast. I appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode. Also, if you've enjoyed the show, please leave a written review on Apple Podcast. And also, if you have a guest or specific content that you would like to hear, you can just send me a message on Facebook or Instagram. Again, thanks for listening, and now on to the episode. All right, hey everybody. Um, today I have Miss Shiloh. She is the creator of the Strutting Her Stuff Facebook page, um, and you also have a YouTube channel. That's right. Yes, that is perfect. Awesome. Um, but she is an amazing advocate for female hunters. But we're going to start with uh, a little bit about yourself, um, or tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, your background, uh, what you do for a living, things like that. Sure. So my name is Shiloh and I'm from central Massachusetts. I grew up in this area. Um, I have held many jobs through my lifetime, starting with babysitting to um, food industry, uh, taking care of my children when they were younger. Um, They now have grown up to young adults. I've taught one of them um, how to hunt when he was 15. Um, And then most recently, um, I've become a personal assistant for a former customer of mine. And that has really allowed me to have more of a freedom type schedule, where as long as I take care of everything that needs to be done, then I am free to take care of my mental health and physical health and get out into the woods as much as I'd like to. So in regards to... um, getting into hunting, I started nine years ago. I had run into a group of women that were staying in the area where the Becoming an Outdoors Woman program is sponsored by Mass Wildlife. And meeting these women, I was like, I want to know what they're doing as they walked past me with a bunch of shotgun cases and camo clothing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where are they going? (laughs) Yeah. That looks like fun. And I want to do that. Um, I was a Girl Scout for eight years as a child, and I was very outdoorsy through that experience. I grew up with tons of woods around me, so I was always in them, either just getting lost in the woods as a kid with my brother and my cousins or going four-wheeling. And uh, so it was kind of natural for me to do that and just have another means to get out in the woods more often, even though it's cold (laughs) in central Massachusetts in December. (laughs) So I had talked to one of the women and got some information and the following summer I had been cleaning some of things on my bureau and came across her card contacted her and fast tracked from that was in August fast tracked to October I had acquired my LTC I had gone to my hunter's education and I had uh, been fortunate enough to borrow Um, a shotgun from somebody to participate in the first hunt that I did on Devons, Massachusetts, where they allow the Becoming an Outdoors Woman program to use their land for the hunt. So that was was quite the experience. Um, I had borrowed some things to start out, not knowing really if I was ready to make the investment. 
and sitting out in sleet and rain on the first day by myself that I had ever hunted actually missed my meme's 90th birthday party that day. Oh my gosh. Oh my god. So you're already like second guessing yourself anyways because of that and then you're also just like this was probably a bad idea but I'm going to do it anyway. I was so cold. I was sitting cuz cuz we don't use tree stands in that program. So you're sitting on the ground and with the sleet and the rain, it wasn't even snow. If it had been snow, it probably would have been a little better, but yeah, I was sitting, I remember sitting in a kind of a puddle on my ground pad <laughs> and um, afraid to move because I wasn't sure where else I was going to be able to sit. That would be a good spot if a deer had presented himself. And so I'm sitting there thinking about all my cousins, aunts and uncles and my meme, like enjoying a nice, you know, <laughs> meal and visiting. And I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this, but um, you know, it just it kind of builds that um, resistance that you need to be able to get through it. And I was so determined, so cold, but so determined to sit out there the whole day, too. And I did. I just, yeah, it was it was an amazing memory. Um, I took my meme out for lunch later afterwards that week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had to make up for it, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, but... No, it's just, it was awesome to be able to meet other women that hunted. And I had met up with two of them from that same program that year and gone out at different times in the next two weeks. Because really back then, I was just a shotgun girl. I didn't get out much of the other time. I had borrowed a black powder once, like three years later, and gone out black powder. But, um, other than that, I was missing some of the best time being during archery and warmer weather. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. And so I just started uh, archery oh, three, three years ago. Yeah. This fall coming will be my third season uh, archery. That is, I mean, that's just awesome. Just hearing about like how you got into it. Um, just the community that you were welcomed into. Um, being surrounded by fellow female hunters. Um, I mean, that is just, that's amazing. Um, so let's let's go back. I know you said central Massachusetts, so that's where you're from, um, and that's where you live currently, correct? Yes. Okay, just making sure. <laughs> and uh, you sound like growing up in the outdoors, it's like you're a country girl, but, you know, in the north. So mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I know down here, you know, I've, did not do Girl Scouts, that probably would have been beneficial. Um, now that I'm look, thinking about it, definitely would have been beneficial. Uh, but, you know, I just grew up, you know, being around in the woods and hiking, climbing trees, stuff like that. Uh, we just kind of did our, our own, like, little redneck scouting, I guess, as kids and not really knowing it. But, um, yeah. So it sounds like, I mean, you just kind of hit the ground running once you did get started. And so now with now that you've gotten into to bow hunting, um, I mean, I know that gets you out in the woods sooner as well. It's warmer, um, but also you get that opportunity to to go on hunts that, you know, a lot of public land is, you know, like a rifle hunt or it's a muzzleloader or primitive weapon hunt only um, certain weekends. So it kind of limits you a good bit. And so by bow hunting, you have, you know, more opportunities, I guess, to, to be out there and so I mean when you started bow hunting were you just extremely overwhelmed with everything that goes into it or you know do you have a good archery shop that you went to and you know had some people like that helped you get set up 
Um, so my my turkey mentor, who is actually also a mentor for the bow program, Phil Mayotte, he is only about half an hour maybe from me. So I met him the first year through the bow program, and he had encouraged me for a long time to get into archery to extend my season. I had tried uh, compound bow uh, when I was small. When I was about nine, I had broken my arm pretty severely, and had a compound fracture on my right arm, which I'm right do- right arm dominant. So plate and four screws, six months apart, two surgeries, Ooh. tiny petite body with this giant cast from my shoulder all the way down to my fingertips. Um, it bothered me for a long time when I was a child and even through my teenage years, just the way that um, my shoulder would kind of go into this twitchy, grindy, like uncomfortable thing sometimes. So... I had met my boyfriend three years ago and he crossbow hunts and I wasn't really sure about crossbow hunting. I had tried to do the compound compound bow for two years and of course, you know, the 40 pound limits drawback. I got kind of up to like 32 pounds, but I just couldn't reach the 40 no matter what I seemed to try to do to get more strength to do it. So... Massachusetts is one of the only New England states. It is the only New England state that requires a doctor's note so that you can hunt with a crossbow. And so I had gone through that process with my PCP and uh, she signed the form. She didn't know anything about hunting. So I had to give her a little education on that too. And like the difference between a compound cross, a compound bow and like how you draw back and what it takes and what it's, you know, the minimum requires of weight and all that business and then the difference between what the comp- crossbow goes with mm-hmm. so she signed the form I was able to apply for the application for the crossbow uh, because it's actually a permanent disability on your license and so I also teach hunters education I started that about four years ago now and at the same time I had become a mentor for the bow program that I learned through so I'm driving back from one of the classes I was teaching and I'm like you know I think I'm just gonna stop at Cabela's on the way back and see what they have well <laughs> you can't ever just stop there you know <laughs> about two hours later I yeah. left Raven 26 I I shot that crossbow um, in their, you know, their practice lane. And it was so natural. I was like, okay, uh, what's it going to take for me to leave with this? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Like I need this. It's got to come home with me right now. Yep. So I came home with a Raven 26. Um, and it was just so fun because as anybody that's been in this for a little while knows, if what they have isn't comfortable, then they're not going to pick it up and use it. It goes for boots to a hat. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's not comfortable, you're not going to put it on or use it. And so I just had decided that I'm going to get what's most comfortable for me, what I'm going to realistically use and be excited to pick up and go out with. And that's what I ended up going with. So I have had um, success with that bow on dropping and taking home two black bears last year and this past month, um, June of 2023, this past month, taking home two black bears from Saskatchewan, Canada. 
Oh man, that is awesome. Um, it was so exciting. So exciting. <laughs> talk about an adrenaline rush. I mean, I could, I don't know, because we don't really have bears here in Alabama. I mean, and not, they're not very common. And yeah. um, so I could not imagine like actually going to hunt a bear or seeing a bear, you know, and then also with archery getting that close to a live bear um yeah (laughs) and and are you hunting were you hunting from the ground last year i was in a tree stand all the time uh steve and i had spent um 60 hours total in tree stands last year in five and a half days um this bear hunt yep okay this past June, uh, we had gone out a little bit uh, later in the day because as with the rest of the world right now, it was so warm up there that it was just like, do we go out? Do we, you know, what do we do? And it was actually a week. It was the second to last week and there was like very minimal sightings. So the bear that I took last month, um, I took from the ground at 20 yards Oh we, my gosh. Oh. yeah, yeah, that was that was exciting. Uh, the friend of ours, that's the guide. Uh, his name's Jeremy. He was on my right side with a loaded shotgun, and on my left side was my man. And I was just focused on that bear coming in towards us, and just he was dominating the area. And he came in towards us, and I had a pinpoint on the ground where I'm like he gets to that point that looks about 20 yards he positions himself and I'm gonna take him and I surprised myself because I was very confident in my shot very very confident um but I truly did surprise myself with um how confident I've become because for the first several years I was hesitant to take shots that I probably would have easily had with my shotgun how much did that bear weigh? Um, in the spring, they're pretty emaciated by weight and um, because of the rut. So they're they're at like their lowest weight, if you will. Um, we don't weigh them, but the skull size is the trophy when it comes to a bear. Okay. And his skull size was massive. It was 20 inches and 6 sixteenths. And if you get above an 18, that's a record. If you get above a 21, that's even, like, a better record. And I'm not really big on, like, the scoring and the records. Like, that's not what I'm out there for. Right. But um, this bear was so special because he was a cinnamon phase color black bear. And so for people that aren't familiar with black bears, because we don't really see the different colored ones here in the States, I don't even think they – I've never seen – evidence that they you know with photos or anything but black bears have like how people have with different uh, hair color they have cinnamon which is like a red brown then they have chocolate which is like a um, brunette brown and then they have blonde which is very much like a blonde color like a person's hair Um, some of them have white you know tuxedo markings on their chest some of them almost all of them are just black with brown snouts Um, So to get something that's unique aside from the black with brown snout is pretty exciting. Yeah, that is awesome. I didn't even, again, I don't know anything about bear hunting, (laughs) but I didn't know that there was that many variations of colors uh, to them, especially blonde. I don't think I've ever even seen a picture of a blonde one before. I mean, is is it like all blonde? 
Yeah, I'll have to send you one because my guy has one and it's fully mounted. So I'll have to send you a picture. <laughs> oh, yes. Yes, please do, because I need to see this. Um, I, that would be. God, I don't even I'd, I would definitely yeah, I had to get it full mounted. So uh, what are you going to do with with all the meat? Do you guys process um, it yourself or? No, we leave the meat behind. Um, the bears up in that area, they have a lot of parasites. Um, and bears in general have parasites. You can get trigonosis from the meat if you don't cook it properly. Um, so we leave the meat behind. Um, last year, somebody else had shot a bear a couple days before we had. I shot mine on a Friday. Um, my guy had shot his the previous Thursday and this bear I'm speaking of was shot on the Tuesday of that week we were there and there was an eight foot long tapeworm they took out of its gut oh my gosh Ooh. and they only they only ended up finding that because um, the arrow had gone into that location and so uh, when they had pulled it out they had opened it up a little bit and that's what was in there so that is a pretty large deterrent to wanting to eat <laughs> yeah. the meat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I would definitely just be like, I'm good, no. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I've just, I've heard of people that have, you know, hunted black bears and, you know, they get the meat processed. I'm not sure what part of the country they were in when they were doing it, but, you know, they talk about just the, uh, um, like, rendering the fat from it and how they use that. Yeah, cooking a lot of other things. So I've always just been interested or I've always wanted to try it. I just never had the opportunity <laughs> to or the chance to. So I just I was just curious. Um, but that is still that is freaking awesome. Just the fact that you're getting out there and, you know, just three years ago, you started, um, you know, bow hunting and to have taken two bears or did you did you get the yeah. last last one with your bow? Yep, I okay. did. That's actually the only thing I've put down with my crossbow. I've taken my crossbow out for whitetail hunting, um, but um, I haven't had an opportunity to take a shot at any bucks yet. The deer I got last year was with my shotgun, and then before that, I got a whitetail deer four years previous, which I started hunting. It was four years before I got one, and then I had the four-year dry spell, and then I got one last year, so... Uh, that was all with my shotgun, um, which I use a Remington 870 open sights, you know, iron sights, no scope, um, pump action, just pretty simple. And I use that for turkey too. And I've gotten eight turkeys um, in my time of hunting. And I've helped call in and guide a couple other women that have gone through the bow program. Like after the fact of going through the bow program, they've come with just me on land I have access to. And I've taken them turkey hunting. Uh, so the flock is just so plentiful. So that's been exciting too, because turkeys actually very exhilarating when you hear them and then you wait for them to approach and then you have to be so still and to trick them with their eyesight is just one of the most your adrenaline just goes so fast and you're like focused and and then it's like I tell my ladies that I bring out I'm like okay focus on your shot focus on the behavior celebrate after <laughs> yes yes absolutely um I mean that that is just so so awesome that you guys just have that program and because I mean I know a lot of states have it like we have it here but it's not mm -hmm. that involved um mm -hmm. like there's no hunts like I actually just saw a notification um the other day for the Alabama uh 
chapter and all they were doing was like a whole weekend it was like a weekend long thing and that's all they do they do that one event every year and that's it and you know it's it's great to get together you know f- with women for a weekend and, and learn all types of stuff especially if you're getting into it it's a great thing to do but once it's over it's kind of like well now what um it's really hard so that, yeah to find other yeah, females but it goes right back to the volunteers it's a whole volunteer program and it's kind of funded through mass wildlife for like the lunch and the waters and you know those kinds of things um but it's and then there's like a little bit of material that goes into it to get targets and things like that for the women to practice because we do a full day seminar so for the white-tailed deer is a full-day seminar in October, and then we normally get permission the first day or two of shotgun season, and then for the turkey hunt, it's, again, full-day seminar, and then uh, the half a day, because you can only hunt until noontime um, turkey Mm -hmm. in the spring. So, it's all funded by Mass Wildlife. I mean, it's probably been that way for five years now because when I started nine years ago, I had to pay a small fee. It was like maybe like $125. Some portion went to the seminar and some portion went to the hunt. But it's truly all about the volunteers. It's got the same volunteers that I think, well, I'm the newest volunteer. I've been doing it for four years. I think above me, my friend Donna's been doing it probably, mm, I want to say like eight or 10, maybe, yeah, closer to 10 years she's been a mentor and she's been hunting since she was a kid in Pennsylvania and New York and around here and then other than that there's probably five guys that are mentors and they're like 55 or older and then the woman that now leads the program she had lived around here for a very long time and um, so she kind of parents the whole project if you will and yeah it's just all about the volunteers because I do know that there is other states like in my area you know New Hampshire and Maine I've seen some posts about their bow program but you know they do the other things like the ice fishing or the camping or the fly fishing things like that which is great it's just it's the same as I had mentioned with Girl Scouts depending on what your troop leader's knowledge is and what they're willing to do depends on what the kids are going to learn so exactly I was, yeah I was fortunate to get a lot of camping and a lot of uh, you know cooking on campfire experience when I was a kid and a lot of hiking and um, but my Girl Scout leaders used to be um, army nurses so I had some pretty badass Girl Scout leaders <laughs> yes I was about to say I mean <laughs> that's kind of what you want though you know you want somebody that's going to be real with you and be honest and you know and be firm and so, I mean mm-hmm. I don't know that's just me I've learned n- yeah not fearing somebody but I definitely learned from somebody being more you know um for not just, forceful but you know just spot you just on. respect their experience you know, you respect their experience and what they're talking about and that they're trying to help enrich your life. Um, I was a co-leader for my daughter's troop for seven years, and I was mainly responsible for getting the girls outside and activities outside. And it was uh, pretty clear where some of them enjoyed the outdoors and some of them wanted nothing to do with it. So um, it was nice, you know, I mean, my daughter's almost 21 now and 
for a long time she didn't seem to enjoy being too much in the outdoors and then last weekend she went camping and it was like this is just like the full circle it just feels so good to know that uh, they find some enjoyment in what we've tried to teach them and that they get through a couple of years phase of figuring out their way and because it's just natural for us to be out outside so it's just really really makes me very happy to see that she enjoys that and then my my other child my son that's a little bit older than her he I taught him how to hunt when he was 15 and he really enjoyed it and he's still very much interested in it he just served his four years with the marines so he's just gotten back um in the area recently but it's nice to just have that because it really brings the family together, I think, and keeps, you know, the conversation and just like the tradition of being outdoorsy and just everything that comes from it. It's just, it's really awesome to have that. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's the memories that you're making with them. And like you said, it's like teaching them those life skills. Um, I just, I think that everybody should have that opportunity and everybody in a sense does but not everyone has you know um programs or you know family members or mentors you know like like yourself and that's kind of why I did this whole podcast thing was to kind of touch base on that um and Mm -hmm. also to help those that don't have that guidance or mentorship so that way I can talk to wonderful ladies like yourself and maybe give them Mm -hmm. some advice that they might not be able to get from their state um, so when you're taking these, these ladies out, when you're, when you're doing these mentor, mentored hunts, you know, what are some of the things as far as you, uh, you stress on, like when you're, when it comes to sign or terrain features, um, you know, food sources, like what are some, some things that you like to key in on? Um, so first and foremost, we always go over the clothing aspect, depending on what the weather's going to be like, um, because it could be 70 one day, it could be 50 the next. So, you know, New England weather changes pretty drastically, um, can be pretty chilly in the morning when you're sitting out and then it'll warm up. So we just go over the clothing a lot and make sure that they've got what they need and that they're going to be comfortable for the weather. Um when we get to the sign and actually trying to make sure that we're putting ourselves in a position to see an animal that we're hunting. Um, everything from, you know, looking for prints, looking for rubs, looking for feathers, looking for scratch, you know, whether it's the turkey, the eastern turkey or the um, white, the white tail. It's just everything everything you could possibly think of. Um, sometimes we'll do some mock scrapes, um, teach them about that and how it can attract, um, go over the value of cameras if that's something that they're able to do. Um, I always stress to them that this can either be as frugal as you need it to be or you can, you know, definitely get yourself spending a lot of money if you choose. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, that that's a choice that's not a requirement of hunting um you can do food plots um you know if people got the space and the interest to doing that and just basically teaching them that if you're gonna hunt turkey and white-tailed deer then they're gonna want the same environment so you're gonna benefit from both of the species 
So just, I stress a lot about getting out there and looking for the sign. And then before um, archery season actually starts, I talk to them about making sure they're letting wherever they're going, just kind of quiet down, make the animals comfortable. You know, you don't want to be out there spreading your scent, not touching trees and things like that. Um, but like get your get your location set up a couple of weeks before deer season because they just they don't like the new ground blinds if that's what's being used. Um, I I've learned that the hard way a very long time ago. I saw a beautiful big buck the last day of turkey for fall. Deer season started like two weeks later for shotgun. And I was like, oh my goodness, I'm coming out tomorrow and I'm putting up a ground blind. Well, that buck loved that area. He kept coming through. But when I saw him on opening morning of shotgun season, he would not come within range to my ground blind. So he was actually blocking himself with a big rock wall. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he knew something was up. He was like, mm I don't like that over there. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) but... I think that um, I think in doing a lot of the scouting, it kind of desensitizes people to the adrenaline a little bit so that when they're out there and they see the deer or the turkey, they're like, "Okay, yeah, I've been expecting this. I knew that something was out here or if they have the cameras, it's just like, you know what you're kind of looking for, especially if you get familiar with their um, time of day travel. So. It's just all part of the education process. But then again, I mean, I've known a couple people that have gone to places that it was the first time they didn't do any scouting, they had no no camera, they just knew it looked, you know, like it was a deery area. And they see a giant buck walking through and it's like, well, boy, were you lucky. And we just kind of, (laughs) we just kind of put that right back to the, well, that's hunting, you know? Yes. (laughs) So how it goes. That it is. That's how it goes. I mean, you never know. Like you said, you can have, you know, you can be out there you can putting cameras out and stuff like that. So you know what's out there. You can be patterning, you know, these animals. That way you can be prepared, um, you know, come opening day. But then, like you said, too, you have to make sure you, you kind of stay out of there a couple of weeks ahead of time. So that way, you know, like you said, letting the woods settle down, um, yep. letting them kind of get used to any you know new things that you've set out in that area as well if they do I mean I'd, I have some bucks that I had on camera two years ago all the time and now they've just disappeared <laughs> they just I don't know where they went um well I think it has a lot to do with with the acorn crop last year um, yeah being pretty terrible so so yeah it's definitely like a, a learning thing um but clothing like you said you can be you know, you can either, I mean, me, I'm a, a Bass Pro shopper <laughs> only because if they have the most affordable camo stuff, it doesn't last that long sometimes for, you know, a whole season of washing it, but, um, or, you know, you can go, you know, all the way up to Sitka, which has amazing gear that's going to last you a couple of years, you know, just spin it all at one time, but, you know, it, it just depends. I know there's not as many options out there, you know, for females as men, so mm, that's fair. yeah have you had you know a lot of women have that issue when it comes to yep. like apparel yes I have and um actually about around four years ago I had decided it was time to upgrade it was about um I had borrowed some stuff I got some secondhand stuff and I just mismatchy all business which 
still works, but um, I had just decided I was so invested into hunting that it was time that I got some nice things. And so I went with the She Brand Strata and like the Strata pattern. Mm -hmm. And I've had it now for four years and it's wonderful. I got the thin, like warmer pair of pants. Um, the medium, you know, with a little bit of weight to them, pair of pants. And then last year before it got cold, I got what I call my fat suit. Because <laughs> <laughs> it literally is like putting on like 40 pounds of extra. It just feels so heavy and thick. And that's also the She Brand Strata, um, like heavy cold weather gear clothing but just the jacket and just the pants to go on over everything else I have and I will tell you it's been 25 degrees and I've not been cold and I can sit for five hours comfortably 25 so degrees. yep very comfortably um in December with that and I don't put on the jacket until I get out where I'm gonna settle down because you break a sweat and then that'll just make you cold in the long run but um, yeah, that that investment and that clothing line for some reason. And I wash them probably, I wash them before the season, you know, in the scent-free stuff. And then I might have to wash them because we start here in like mid-October, go all the way to the end of the calendar year. So I'll probably wash it like around the end of November if I have to. And then that's it. I only wash them like twice, maybe three times a year for turkey season too. I'll wash it before turkey season just to freshen it up. And then I spray it all down with um, the permethrin spray for the ticks and bugs. Mm -hmm. And yeah, four years now and I don't have none of the material is thinning or anything. And I probably get out in a whitetail season at least 12 to 15 times, at least so I wear it a lot and I haven't had a problem with their clothing at all. So a lot of uh, the women that I've met since I bought that clothing line, they've also invested in the same clothing line and they probably don't get out as much as me because they work a little bit um, more like structured schedules, um, but they haven't had any issues with that line either. So, I mean, it is, it's, it's affordable. And, and like you said, there's, there's, I don't, there's different, I don't know, patterns. No, well, actually there's only, I've only ever seen the one pattern that they have, um, the strata, but I think they have another pattern that's like a lighter brown color. I think so. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you can find different stuff too. If you just go to the store and get a, try a few things on for your sizing and then you know what size to order online, that helps. Yes. Yeah. And that's another great thing too, is that you can actually go to the store and try it on yeah. instead of having to just order it online and hope it fits and then have to send it back and then get it and send it back. So yeah, I do like the fact that I can just go to like the, the Bass Pro or, or Cabela's and try it on and, you know, keep it moving. So that's yeah. one less thing you have to worry about with that clothing. Yeah. Line and again, least. it's just when you're when when women are looking to get their hunting gear it's just the outside layer that's the most important when it comes to the the camo mm -hmm. um i did a lot of hiking and camping before i ever got into hunting and so i was able to use a lot of those base layer materials um under all my camo like i got like a hot pink under armor cold weather gear long sleeve turtleneck that i'll put on and then i'll just put my camo over that hot pink you know layer 
Um, if it's going to get warm, you want to make sure you have a camo layer underneath your jacket to blend in still. But um, pants, I got these Sherpa-lined fleece leggings off of Amazon for like $35. They're wonderful. They're so thick and warm. So, you know, you've got to, you got to how your body runs temperature wise. And, but it doesn't have to be everything camo in order to feel like you're going to blend in and, and not be seen in the woods. Um, so that that's another way to get around it is just your outside pants and jacket and like the top layer of your um, underneath your jacket so that if you have to take it off if you get warm. That's really all it comes down to. So I probably have like eight pieces and that's only because of the three different seasons. So... I'm going to have to get you to send me that link for those Sherpa-lined fleece leggings because those oh, sound so nice. <laughs> yes, they're very, very warm. Very warm. I mean, I might fall asleep, though, if I had those on. They feel, I mean, I just feel like, <laughs> I just feel comfortable already just thinking about wearing them. <laughs> they just, you know, they just sound cozy. <laughs> they are. They are. And I've, yeah, I've shared the link with uh, anybody that I've talked to it about because um, my friend Lisa had introduced them to me and I was like, yep, I need myself a pair for sitting out. <laughs> well, that's some, some really good advice um, when it comes to clothing and, um, and just what to look for as, you know, as a new hunter getting out there. And so with all that being said, you know, it's summertime right now. I know you guys are getting ready for season coming up. So what kind of summer scouting do you do or do you do summer scouting or what are you doing you know um in the summer months to prepare for the upcoming season oh gosh um (laughs) we go out on the four-wheeler and we'll set up cameras i think we probably have eight cameras out and uh two or three of them come to two of them come to my phone and then like five of them goes to his phone um so that we can still have he likes to surprise me with some of the pictures sometimes so i don't see it all <laughs> <laughs> oh i'd be like thanks <laughs> yeah that's... he's a little bit of a mystery so he can send me a picture of a buck and i'll be like oh wow that's awesome yeah you know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> so um no we're big on cameras and um he's got several several acres so we like the ones that come back to our phone so we're not out there trying to change SD cards all the time. But I know people that need to use the SD cards, that there's an SD card reader. So you can bring it out and read it right there at the camera. Mm-hmm. You don't have to come back to your house and, you know, read it and then go back out. Because that can just kind of be a nuisance sometimes and a deterrent to actually end up using it. Oh, yeah. Um, it's exhausting. <laughs> so um, last year and the year before, he had planted clover in the fields. And he's spent the last 20-something years um, creating a beautiful apple orchard. So the deer always come into the apples and crab apples. Um, His friend that used to live around here actually lives in Pennsylvania now. He um, created some pretty interesting apple breed trees I guess you could say and and crab apples and kind of renamed them into hunting names like 30 out six and (laughs) oh my god that's awesome that is like awesome yeah so 
he's definitely got the apple orchard, you know, atmosphere. The turkeys love it. The deer love it. We get to watch them come in at night and eat the apples. And we get to kind of see, you know, how many does are in the area. We've seen two tiny little fawns that you could tell were so small. They had just been born a couple of weeks back. So we get to see those, you know, it's just throws a smile on your face instantly when you see that. And then we've got water sources. So we've got two small ponds and a stream that runs. Um, we got a lot of natural springs in this area. And then he had played around with some brassica plant uh, last year. I'm not sure how that ended up, but the clover does really well. So that brings in a lot of the deer. They love eating that. And then, um, yeah, when it, it just, you know, knowing your environment and like you mentioned earlier about the oak crop and like for the acorns and just paying attention to what nature's doing on its own so you can kind of position yourself and your tree stands and good crossing locations and um because the deer they're gonna have their habits and even if you see a giant buck on your camera and the rut comes you can pretty much say that he went to the neighbor's house or something because he's looking for the ladies because right. for some reason that always tends to happen. So, <laughs> oh, I know. I don't know if you just heard my garage door opening. No, that was my, my husband coming back home. <laughs> um, so, sorry, everybody, if you heard that. But, uh, okay, so your cameras, you've got eight cameras out, like you said, and you've got some cell cams, and then you've got some just traditional, um, you know, SD card cameras out there. And so what you're doing is just getting inventory basically of of what you have you're not really trying to necessarily pattern them or or are you doing both um we we pattern them closer to august so next month we'll start paying attention um mostly to you know what time of day i mean we we generally see it anyways but it's it's really it can be just for fun because when the rut comes, the rut here usually hits about the last week of October, first week of November. And um, that just, you know, that's Mother Nature and she just kind of throws a wrench in it all the time. Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw, we saw on camera three years ago, this giant buck came through and course it was on a sunday you can't hunt sundays in massachusetts oh of course you know <laughs> I was like where can i intercept this guy <laughs> running out in the woods um he was so big his neck was so swollen from the rut it was like where did he come from <laughs> oh my gosh middle of the day you know it was just amazing and then we had seen this buck at one location pretty frequently on the camera and then I had been out in that location in the morning and came back in took a little nap had some lunch went to go back out ended up running late to get back out so I went to a stand closer to the house and my guy sent me a message and was like when you get back just just go to the liquor store <laughs> I was like what he was trying to tell me he got a picture of the giant buck on the tree stand I was sitting at that morning and I was like on the other side of the acreage if you will <laughs> oh my gosh yeah <laughs> so 
But I, I picked the tree stand close to the house because I'm like, well, maybe he's passing by here to get there. And I'm going to need to, you know, to be closer to the house because it's like two o'clock in the afternoon, not one o'clock. Like they, I wanted to get back out. Yeah. So I I was bummed. I didn't go to the liquor store, but I was bummed. <laughs> okay, so he didn't tell you, though, sooner that that buck was over there. <laughs> He's like, I just got a picture. You're just going to just don't even, you don't even want to know. Oh, <laughs> Cause my he, gosh. Oh, because where the camera was, it would have been like a perfect angle to have taken a shot from the tree stand. And I was like, okay, well, I could have lived without that knowledge. Oh, man. Yeah, see, that's why I don't use cell cams for that reason, because I feel like it would just drive me nuts. Um, and I would I'd either be sick to my stomach or I would literally just always always be out there I, I mean I'm, I'm out there majority of the time anyways but um, I would it would just drive me insane so sometimes like you said earlier it's like I like the the unknown I mean I, I have check I check my cameras they're SD cards um, like you said I have like a little mobile uh, you know little plug-in that I use on my phone to check them uh-huh. but you know I usually do it every two weeks or so so it's like you don't really know especially when you're out and you're hunting you don't I don't want to know like if I'm in a spot or if I'm at a certain WMA and then you know if I had a cell cam on another WMA like two hours away and if it went off I would just you know I'd be sick to my stomach probably (laughs) I probably would be in the liquor store a lot more if if that were the case um so when you said uh tiny fawns that made me think so I know um a friend of mine Shane Parker he had mentioned or he had put something, I guess, on Facebook not too long ago saying that he had gotten, you know, pictures of some fawns. And he said, this is why it's good to leave your cameras out, you know, throughout the summer. So that way you can tell when those fawns are dropping and you can almost directly pinpoint, you know, when that doe was bred, you know, yep. just, just going back through. Do you guys do that? Um, my man does. He likes to pay attention to all that kind of stuff. I mean, he's... He's definitely uh, invested in his deer <laughs> in this area. Um, he's he's been managing the herd in or the herds in this area for about 22 years now, and so it's such a blessing to have met somebody that's so passionate about hunting and the outdoors like I am. And so, yeah, he definitely looks forward to when the fawns drop and when the rut is taking place, and just knowing what's around here, he's he could tell you how old they were from seeing them kind of in a sense born you know from from showing up as little fawns on camera or just seeing them for the first year as yearlings um he watches the antler growth and he can like figure out how you know who's related to who almost because the genetics of the antlers they're you know all relative to that like our handprints are you know the antlers are very um genetic based Mm -hmm. So I've learned a lot from him in all those regards um, beyond just getting out there and sitting in good shot placement and things like that. Um, So it it is definitely something, a conversation that we have on a continual basis. And it's definitely a lifestyle that we live. It's not, um, it's just, it's not anything other than that. It's, It's definitely a lifestyle. We're just always in you know engulfed in getting out in the woods and seeing what sign we can find and you know if somebody's starting to you know in the rub the velvet off and we look forward to seeing all that 
kind of behavior and it's just the anticipation of hunting opening day coming really is what it is oh i know i can't wait i'm just like uh just two months well you know almost two more months um Mm -hmm. until opening day uh it's october well i think it's october 1st um here in alabama or in some spots at least i know it opens up then so yeah it's getting out there and practicing with my bow I need to start doing that a little bit more getting the cameras out doing the summer scouting uh, I know you know you do, you guys don't do a lot of public land um, hunting or do you do any public land hunting up there no we actually don't okay well with your tree stands then are you guys using ladder stands yeah so that's something that um, I've gotten a lot more daring with and a lot more experience through him Um, last year I was doing the climbers, um, like the little, the little stick poles that stay up against the tree. Like you're climbing like a telephone pole. Mm -hmm. Um, and then sitting in the climber would be up there because I'm not about to go out there and try and like hoist that thing up one, you know, one foot at a time to get into the tree. Um, But no, I did a lot more challenging tree stand situations last year. And I have a harness uh, that my son actually got me for Christmas a couple of years ago because he realized I didn't have one. He was asking me what I needed and whatnot. And so now I wear it all the time. And um, it's a lot more challenging tree stands, whereas earlier on, the first year it was just from the ground. And then the second year I had used a friend's tree stand and then it was like a ladder you know with a double seat so it was more comfortable and my son was with me too a lot of the times uh but recently it's been like this little pedestal seat <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of a you know a, it's half and half almost it's like you you want it to be light you want to be because I'm, I'm more of a mobile hunter, so I need it to be light and I need it to be smaller so that way it can fit my frame, that way it can hike into places. Um, but at the same time, you want it comfortable, but not too comfortable to fall asleep in. So I uh, know a lot of the, the summit climbers, uh, their seats are just so comfortable. You can get up there and it's just like you just instantly just kind of like melt into the tree and you just fall asleep. And yeah. So you kind of want it to be a little bit uncomfortable. That way it keeps you more alert and aware. Um, but definitely, you know, any, anyone that's out there that's getting into a tree stand, whether it be a ladder stand, a climber, a lock on, hang on, whatever it may be, you got to have a harness on. Um, I won't, I cannot stress that enough. Wear a harness, period. Yeah, definitely important. I mean, I was, I've been climbing trees since I was about seven years old. So I've always been confident and comfortable doing that, but just having all that gear and something could snag and like pull you or, you know, it's just, it's not worth it. So, um, since I've been a mentor and things like that, an instructor, I just have learned the value is so much more, um, worth it and going much further. I mean, we go like a half a mile from the house, so we're pretty far out in the woods and, while we know where we are and where like the other person is it's just it's just a good thing to you know use our senses and be responsible for our own safety so yes exactly so um with this upcoming season uh, i know you said that you guys are going to do your is it your your first seminar in october for bow yep 
and then about how many ladies usually attend that? Um, we can take, I think, up to 25 for the seminar and then for the hunt, um, because we're still kind of, we've lost a few mentors, they've aged out, um, so we're, we're kind of looking for a couple new mentors in the area to, to bring on. And we want them to be females just because of the fact that we are women trying to teach women. And a lot of them right now are, are men that are getting close to the aging out. And they've been doing this for like, some of them I think have been doing it for like 20, 25 years. That's how long they've had the, the hunting portion of the program in Massachusetts. Um, so... For the deer hunt, I think we have something like 12 or 15, maybe, because it's two of us, uh, two students to a mentor. Okay. Yeah. Well, so if anybody is listening in the central Massachusetts area, um, and if you are interested in being a mentor, um, how could they go about, you know, contacting you or contacting the, the program to get more involved? Um, they would contact Mass Wildlife, and they would ask for Austri. And she would be the one that would go ahead and collect some information, experience, and things like that to see if they're a good candidate to become a mentor. Okay, awesome. Mm-hmm. Well, and it's not, and it's not just actually, um, it's not just Massachusetts it, that is uh, included in the bow program for for this. Uh, we've had women come from Rhode Island, New Hampshire, to be students. So it is open to people beyond the Massachusetts border as a student because we know that some of those states don't have this sort of uh, activity in the program. Right. Would they have to purchase an out-of-state license to, to be a student for that? They would. They would if that's something that they wanted to commit to, yes. Okay. Um, not for the seminar, but just for the hunt, correct? Correct. And they'd have to have, um, you know, whatever firearms requirements um, for the Massachusetts regulations and laws, too. But for some of them, like I I know um, a couple of women that came up from Rhode Island a few years ago because Rhode Island didn't have it and they didn't have any other means to really learn. And so that's what they found was necessary so they could get their experience and some education and then kind of figure it out on their own once they got back home. That is awesome. Um, mm-hmm. I forget that you guys are like, I haven't been up there in so long. My mom used to live in Rhode Island years mm-hmm. ago. And, you know, you can go from state to state pretty quickly. <laughs> <'cause>, okay. Because <laughs> we're down here in Alabama, it's like, you know, it's a it's a good, you know, two and a half hours north you get Tennessee. And then, you know, it, I'm talking about central Alabama here, you know, uh-huh. and then you go like two hours west, two hours east you know, to get to neighboring states. Um, but so, yeah, up there it's, it's a little bit easier <laughs> to, uh, to jump around. Yeah, I could be in New Hampshire in 20 minutes if I needed to be at the border. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, that's definitely a lot closer. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. <laughs> well, gosh, that is so awesome, though. I mean, just everything that you're involved in, everything that you're doing, um, you know, I just you you inspire me a, a lot just seeing how passionate you are and you know your eagerness to help others as well I mean that's just something that I feel like needs to be spotlighted more in the industry because you know it's a lot of the times and I've mentioned this before on other episodes but 
you know, it, it's hard, harder for women, in my opinion. And we, you know, it's either you're doing it for, you know, social media presence and you don't really know what you're doing. You're not doing it because you're passionate about it. You're just doing it for the fame of it, you know, or you're people like us and you just enjoy it. I mean, it, like you said, it's, it's a life changing thing and it's something that we do every single day and we think about it every single day and, you know, we respect it. We respect other fellow hunters. Um, so it's, it's, you got to make sure that you are in with the right group of people and the right, you know, you have the right path ahead of you and you don't get sucked into all the negatives that can be, um, yeah, you know, absolutely. That come with, I guess, being a woman. Uh, so is right. that like, what is something that you have struggled with? You know, what's your biggest issue, I guess, as being a woman in the industry and in the outdoors, um, it took some years to prove myself. It took some, you know, being that I'm feminine and that I enjoy everything that comes along with being a female woman, like feminine wise, like makeup, but I have really long hair and I like to wear dresses and heels and jewelry. And, but, um, you know, growing up, I was very much a tomboy in the sense of being outside, but that didn't mean I wasn't afraid to get outside and get dirty. Like I got I got pictures of myself wearing jellies and jean skirts and, you know, little Hawaiian tank top crops when I was a kid, climbing trees <laughs> like that. I, I wasn't so much uh, wearing the appropriate attire for the activity, I guess you could say. Right. I just to wear and went and did whatever I felt like doing. Whereas, you know, now, you know, okay, I'm going to be in the woods. I should probably have some pants and some boots on. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, D- yes. <laughs> Yeah, but um, you know, so I grew up very much that way, not hesitant to get dirty, and you know, but at the same time, if we were getting ready to leave to go somewhere, yeah, I'm gonna go clean myself up and comb my hair, and um, you know, just make myself look presentable for for that kind of um, you know, environment. But then I was fortunate; I really wanted to have children young because I started babysitting when I was ten. And I just felt very prepared to become a mom. And so I was, you know, a lot of people I know, I don't think I would have been able to do this when I was in my mid to late 20s, that's for sure. I had had three children by the time I was 24. And um, I was married for 18 years. And I had gotten into hunting two years before uh, my divorce. And... I decided to get into hunting because my kids were getting older. They were, mm, let me see, 11, 13, and 15 when I started hunting. My boys were in Boy Scouts, my two boys. They were in Boy Scouts, and I was doing a lot of activities with them. And it was a lot of camping and kayaking weekends. And it really ignited that outdoor passion that I had always had from being a kid and being in the outdoors. And then... I started that hunting um, back in 2014, that first that first season of deer. And, you know, two years after that, I just had realized, like, it was, it was very much a lifestyle that I wanted. And I was on a different trajectory from my children's father. And we just had different, different important things that we wanted in life. And it just was time to go our separate ways. And I just was very fortunate to have the network 
in the works already and people supporting me that knew that this was natural for me. Um, I ran into a rut probably in 2018 and I just started thinking like, I don't know about this. Maybe this is just not like an attractive quality and maybe I'm just, you know, making mistakes here with my decisions and my my buddy that I had mentioned earlier, Phil, um, I had had coffee with him one day and I told him that I was probably going to be pulling back from hunting as much. And he looked right at me. He says, Shiloh, you are a hunter. Do not let anything going on in your life take that away from you. And it took me a couple months and, you know, fortunately it wasn't during a season. I didn't miss a hunting season because of that sort of funk. And I just decided, yeah, no, this is absolutely something that makes me feel better. It excites me. It, you know, everything about it is just comes natural. I mean, I just, it was such a huge part of what I wanted in my life from a day-to-day natural thing that, um, I just kind of grabbed it by the horns and, and got right back into it and decided, you know, I need to find somebody that is just as much supportive in their activities of this, not just from their words, that they had to want to do this just as much as I did and already have a lot of experiences for their life. Um, I didn't want to have to like teach a partner. I love teaching other people, but I didn't want to have to teach a partner if they were... <laughs> You know, just I wanted to be able to share what I knew and learn from what they had known all along. And I met my guy just literally walking by his house. It just, I just kept asking the universe for that kind of person in my life. And I literally walking by his house, met him three years ago, last month. And um, actually it's 4th of July. Yep. Three years ago. And he was so shocked that when we started talking um, because he happened to be home on the holiday working in his yard (laughs) he was so shocked to hear that I hunted you know kind of like a yeah sure okay (laughs) kind of you know right and um, and then he decided to take me to, to Saskatchewan last year and he said to me just about the second to last day he says you know he says, I've, I've come up here with some buddies through the last, you know, many, many years. He goes, and none of them have not only wanted to, but been willing to sit in a tree stand as long as I was. And so it had taken several years to prove myself, but um, it's, it's just an awesome thing because I'm not doing it to try and do anything other than to embrace what I find comes naturally for me um, it's just it's wonderful that I have achieved getting a level of respect like I got invited to volunteer at Huntstock which is something that just started taking place last year in our area it's kind of like a um, like a fair or a sportsman's show mm-hmm um, it's more, yeah, it's more like a big sportsman's show. It starts on a Friday and it goes to Sunday. And there's a 3D archery shoot in the woods there. Two different paths, uh, or two different courses, rather. 
And there's people actually come from very far away to come and give presentations um, at the show. There's several, several booths, if you will. It is not like uh, thrift fair style stuff. It is very much like big name supporters. Um, and I got to meet the one of the coordinators last year and then one of the volunteer coordinators this past winter at the Springfield Sportsman's Show. And they invited me to come back and volunteer. And whether or not it's because I happen to, you know, have an easy on the eyes look, that is, <laughs> that's, that to me is not that, like, fine, whatever. But I know my stuff. Exactly. I, yeah. You know? <laughs> so it's, and I'm very modest. You're never going to yes. find, you know, you're never going to find anything too flashy on my pages because it's not how I'm, it's not what I'm trying to, present <laughs> right right yeah I mean it's like you as long as you as long as you know what you're talking about and if you have that confidence and that comes off I mean it helps you know to be easy on the eyes sure because it, it just seems like you're more approachable but also as soon as you start talking and people are like oh wow like she's she's pretty and she knows what she's doing it kind of is like a I don't know for me it's like a um it's almost like a high that you get from it because you're like, oh, these people, we're going to walk in here, all these guys, and think that, you know, being a, a female and, you know, having nice hair or whatever, we don't know anything. And then as soon as we start talking and we know more than half of them, it's just kind of like they're kind of taken aback. <laughs> so Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it helps break down that, that wall of the stigma. Yes, it does. And, um, I mean... That's awesome, though, that you're going to be doing that show. I know um, we have here in Birmingham coming up this weekend, we have the World Deer Expo, um, and that's a three-day long event, and it is a massive. I mean, it's like 40,000-plus people that come wow. through. Yeah, and there's hundreds and hundreds of, of booths and vendors. I mean, it's a two-story level thing at a convention center. I mean, it's massive, and um I'm actually going to be helping out with a, a stand XOP um, this whole weekend. So uh, if anybody's there, come by and see us. So I'm I'm pumped to be helping out with that this weekend. But yeah, it's it's nice because doing those events and being able to network with everyone else, um, you know, it just and and you're with like-minded people. That's what I love yep. about those things. Yeah. Uh, that is that definitely helps um, grow your experience and exposure for sure. Yeah, and I think they have, uh, well, I know you're not into mobile hunting, but um, they have the Mobile Hunters Expo also um, in Kalamazoo. It's coming up pretty soon. It's their northern show, so if anybody up north is in the area um, and wants to, to check that out, you can go to their Facebook page and look up the dates and times and the actual address for that. And uh, I'm trying to think of what other shows. Those are really the only ones we have here in the South, but um, I would love to be able to go to um, the Huntstock. Is that what you said? It's supposed to call it Huntstock? Yeah, it's called Huntstock, and it's held um, outside at Wildwood Farm in Westminster, Massachusetts. Is it, how much is it to get in? Is that a free thing or? 
No, there's a fee for it. I want to say it was like maybe $45 for the day or something like that. And then, or you could buy a weekend pass. I'm probably wrong on the price because as a volunteer, I get to get in for free and then I can kind of roam off for like an hour or whatever and go and check stuff out. Um, <laughs> That's the best part. <laughs> yeah. But I'm going to, this year, I'm going to be in the retail tent and, um, which is inside the arena, which is like a horse arena because it's a big farm. Mm-hmm. And, um, inside the arena is where they have a lot of the speakers. So I'll be able to listen in on a lot of the presentations that are taking place while I'm pushing whatever retail stuff they've got for me to sell. <laughs> That's awesome. I mean, yeah, that sounds like a, you know, dream gig almost. It's like you're sitting there, you know, with, like you said, retail with like clothes and hats. And I'm sure you get to go home with some of it too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, volunteers a t-shirt. Yeah. So you get it get at least that but I just think being around everybody that you know is either interested in checking it out and getting into hunting themselves or you know looking to expand on their knowledge or their gear or you know just some of it too um for people that start to travel to different locations and go hunting um I think that that can be one of the funnest things to do but it's also can be one of the scariest things to do because as with everything else there are a lot of scams that come into play mm-hmm. um you know my guy has come across a couple of those through his years of just being checking out other things and figuring out that stuff is a scam um but he he has a couple places that he goes to and that's really one of the biggest things like in me sharing what i do on facebook is really geared towards is like that you can do these kinds of things if you really want to it can it doesn't have to be cost prohibitive and also if somebody was really interested on where i went i'd be happy to let them know who to contact to be able to experience that same kind of environment that i went to because i physically have been there it's a legitimate location and you're not going to end up sending someplace money and showing up and having no building be there or whatever the case might be you know yeah, exactly. It's like it's getting like a, a live review from somebody that you know and trust, um, you know, versus just seeing somebody's paid written review yep. <laughs> on a site. No, um, very, very true. I mean, that is just every everything that you're doing. Like I said, like you are an inspiration, I know, to me and to so many other women out there. Um, and, you know, also thanks to Phil for telling you that that day. And because yeah. otherwise I, I wouldn't be sitting here talking to you right now. <laughs> yeah. And um, I'm glad you stuck with it. And I know that you've, you've, I don't know, helped countless, you know, women, you know, start this journey on their own and have those experiences and create those memories with them. And it sounds like, you know, you're, you're not slowing down anytime soon, which is awesome. No. I've got Alaska in my uh, in my sights. I I plan on going to Alaska in a couple of years or less. Um, even if it's just accompanying my guy on a brown bear hunt, I I just want to go there just to see the insane landscape and atmosphere. And I really want to see the Northern Lights sometime. So I might have to go back to Saskatchewan in the fall. You know, for for a visit not necessarily this fall but definitely in the fall to see the northern lights um the fishing up there is so wild it there's just giant fish we brought back 16 pounds between myself my guy and my dad so uh, because we had all gone fishing while we were there as well what kind of fishing were you 
Um, it's fresh water and it, uh, Northern Pike. Uh, my dad pulled on his second cast a 42 inch long Northern Pike out. Oh my <laughs> and gosh. That's, and that's not even the largest that they get there. Um, lots of walleye, um, some, some lake trout. Um, like where we went in Saskatchewan, Canada is so off grid so so off grid it is a five hour drive from civilization oh wow so it's pretty crazy to to go that far away from the world if you will but that is where we love to be (laughs) i was about to say that that does sound pretty scary at the same time that sounds amazing like if you need to go out and just kind of you know center yourself find peace um, get back to nature, things like that. That sounds like the perfect place to go. Yeah, yeah, and bear hunt while you're there. <laughs> yes, yeah. Just don't don't harvest the meat. Um, yeah. the, the people, the, the family that lives up there, the outfitters, they don't even eat it. So, and they've lived up there their entire lives. So that says a lot about the quality of the bear meat. So, oh yeah, yeah. You definitely want to listen to the to the locals when it comes to yeah. what to do and what not to do. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, well, yep. I mean, we're at a little bit over an hour here. Um, okay. You know, is there anything else that you wanted to, to touch base on? No, I mean, the only thing I say, like when I'm teaching a class and I just say to my students in a sense is that if this is something that you really want to try and you think that you're really going to enjoy it, then just stick with it and know that if you go out and, you know, you sit out several times that it's going to take a lot of time. Most of the time it takes a lot of time invested into a tree stand or even sitting in a ground blind. Um, sometimes it can take a couple years before you harvest your first white-tailed deer. But, um, you know, try some other species too to kind of have more um, excitement with it. But if it's something that you really like and you want to try, then stick with it because eventually you're going to get that harvest and it's going to feel like you really, you know, it paid off and, but mixing up some other species with it can really be good too, because some species are easier to hunt than others. Oh, so absolutely. You, yeah. And woodsmanship too, that you get with, you know, boots on the ground being out there uh, more yep. often. Yep. Just like anything else, you got to put your time in. Yes, definitely got to do that. And, uh, and patience, I think too, is, is something that you, you learn if you don't already have it. Like me, I'm, I'm not a patient person. So that's something that I am learning as I yeah. go. <laughs> polish it up a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, but yeah, again, thank you so much for coming on. And I definitely want to talk to you again, you know, uh, in springtime, because that's when our turkey season here in the South kind of uh, starts and kicks off. Uh, so I definitely want to touch base with you back in the spring. Also, just see how your summer, I mean, how your season went um, and, you know, what you're going to be doing, getting ready for turkey season as well. So if guys um, want to find you or if they want to look you up on Facebook, can you uh, just let us know, like, your Facebook page and then also, like, your YouTube channel? Yeah, it's Strutton, her stuff. So S-T-R-U-T-N apostrophe, her stuff. And my YouTube link is at the top of that Facebook page. And I've got some videos from my bear hunt on there from Saskatchewan, Canada in 2022 as well. I got to get some more on there, but I do have information um, and videos from 2022 on there. 
Okay, awesome. Well, I'll, I'll put the links too to those to both your Facebook page and um, your YouTube channel, you know, in the the body for the podcast. So if you guys want to check her out, all you have to do is just kind of go there and click the link. That'll be maybe make things easier. But if not, you can just search her up while you're listening to this. Either way. Um, but again, Shallow, thank you so much, and I really appreciate you coming on. And good luck this upcoming season. Um, I already know that you guys are are gonna you know, have some pictures of some amazing books. I can't wait. (laughs) Thank you. Thanks, Olivia. Of course. All right. That wraps up this week's episode. Thank you guys so much for listening. And please don't forget to go write a written review. Um, Leave a five-star review. And uh, feel free to reach out if you guys have any questions, again, or any content or any Uh, potential guests that you guys want to hear from and again appreciate it so much thank you for tuning in and thanks for listening to the stay hungry outdoors podcast